0: Look at him go, Justin Bourne, NHL on Sportsnet, Hockey Central. Busy week in the NHL. All of a sudden it went from me kind of going, there's not enough happening to so many things happened that I almost lost track of them. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuff <laughs> happened, man. What do you want from me? Yeah, stuff, stuff <laughs> happened. Things happened. Things went down. Um, one of the teams that was the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the only guy that they traded for this offseason is not on the team. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, they made a trade. Oh, they went out and got a guy. And then he doesn't end up there. I want to talk to you about the moves that happened, the things that did happen, the draft. um, It's already a weird league when it comes to uh, nepotism, but this was like, this is now the League of Families. That was the NHL. It was like, hey. It was was a league
1: where every team admitted they don't really know what they're doing with their draft picks this year. They're like, might as well get the kid's brother.
0: Okay. Actually, now (laughs) I'm starting here. Okay. Thank you. How this amount, like Shane Doan's kid gets drafted to the Coyotes, uh everybody's taking a brother and trying to pair brothers together. And that was exactly my thinking was, I'm sorry, but there's no way that this is the right move for this amount of teams. Could you convince me that one time it's the right move? Sure. Ish. Close to ish. This one was just basically an admission of that, that these NHL teams believe that everybody is really, really close to one another, that everybody's essentially the same. And so it doesn't really matter. And I actually thought, Ugh, Not to keep hammering away at the league, but the idea that these kept getting spun as, wow, what an incredible story that these brothers are together. What an incredible story that the family tradition is going to stay alive. I kept thinking, huh? Like, this is not good. This is no, not great. Like, the only way great. in the NBA it's supposed to be this way is if it's LeBron James playing with his son because he's LeBron James. He can get his son into the league and have the longevity to last. The just that, want a title, like, no, man. What
1: do you mean? What do you yeah, mean?
0: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a terrible thing.
1: Yeah. The, uh, yeah. No, what I like about it is honest. It's honest from the NHL teams who are like, I don't know, everyone's kind of within this grouping here. Like, we've tiered yeah. these players, and if one of them falls around there... It'll make our star player happy. So here's your brother. Here you go. What's, what's the Nassus Makar for Colorado?
0: Go nuts, man. Yeah, the Nassus <laughs> <laughs> ah, That's going to stick. That's really good. The definitely all the way. I, I don't know. I, I got to get Sportsnet stats to send me the entire list because well, there was two hilarious things about the draft. One is that it was like five hours in we're a pick 20 <laughs> like, I know, oh my god. Painful. Yeah, what are we doing here? Uh, the good thing for the Montreal Canadiens, the only good part about them, maybe they thought they could take Logan Mayu without anyone paying attention because the draft was like so three long. in the morning. And they were so, <laughs> right? They were like, no one's going to know. Just take him. <laughs> like, It'll be fine. Everyone's in bed. Everyone's turned this off it was hours like, ago. It
1: was legit. Like, late at night on a Friday before the weekend, they were like, by the time yeah. it gets to the Monday morning good yeah. show, no one will even mention yeah. it.
0: <laughs> no one will even know. Uh, yeah, I guess people turned out that they knew people were quite upset. Um, but yeah, the, I couldn't believe the family angles of all these. I was like, again, another one? That's like the theme of this year's off season now is who can put what brother with the other brother or what relative is going to go to the organization where he has history with the organization. I, I, Shane Doan is an awesome dude and I believe that his kid probably can play and he's incredible. But yeah, the idea that the Coyotes are taking, I'm like, what <laughs> it's like there's no, there's, if you're a coyote fan, actually, I just, I yeah. actually
1: wonder if the kid doesn't love it. Like, I had uh, you know, opportunities yeah. to go. So when I came out of college, I had like a lot of opportunities to go to different yeah. AHL teams. I had different contract offers. But only one t- team offered me an NHL tryout, the New York Islanders. Mm. Now, I'm not yeah. an idiot. I have an idea yeah. that that's a nice story for the New York <laughs> Islanders. And I'm also not an <laughs> yeah. idiot. And I'm smart enough to take that opportunity, see what I can do with sure. it and, and run. But there's no doubt that there's... There's a little bit of extra that goes with that. Like, if you're that kid and you're a legitimate NHL prospect, does it take away from it a little bit? Like, when people, oh, he got drafted that high, but it's the Coyotes. They had to do it because of his dad. Like, I don't know. It almost takes away from it. And I'm not blaming the Coyotes or saying it's bad for the kid, but it it feels less legitimate somehow, and he doesn't deserve
0: that. Yes. Dude, kid's worked his ass off, and obviously part of the advantages that the kid has had is that, you know, Shane Doan is his father. That's a real part of it, right? Maybe he doesn't play. Who knows, you know? But still, like the different advantages that help him get there because of Shane Dunn. But yes, to work that hard and to become that caliber of a player and then to have your moment maybe not personally diminished because you probably feel great about staying close to home being around your dad. But it's something that we've always talked about too, um, Ennis and I, in regards to Bo Bichette with Dante Bichette when they – the Blue Jays and have them in the dugout and you've got a hitting coach but then your dad who's been your hitting coach your entire life is always there and you're getting on the plane and you're going to team dinners and you're going to stuff and your just dad is around and yeah for all of us right for most of us anyways when you enter your professional career one of the cool things about becoming an adult is creating independence right it's like a marker it's you getting your driver's license and being able to get out of the house on like on your own and then it's going to college and trying to survive on your own for the first little bit or whatever it is, but for a lot of people who don't go to college or whatever, it's that actual becoming independent from your parents and the idea that you're still getting a paycheck that's even remotely related to a brother. Well, not so much a brother's, and, like, I think that one's less so, but, yeah, dad, like, yeah, you're right. There, There is a bit of a sting to that. And, you know, um, I was going to start with Leafs, but this is what I wanted to talk about with Logan Mayu because I don't know. Is it Mayu? I, I think it is, right? Let's go with that. So, so... Very clearly and obviously, what he did was criminal. And that's it. Like, it was a criminal act. Um, should he deserve an opportunity to play hockey again? I don't know. That's Some people think no. Some people think that playing in the NHL is a privilege and that, you know, you're not owed it. And so if you do commit an offense, for some people, they'll never want to see that guy play. Um, I am a believer that, you know, we have. Um, correctional systems to rehabilitate people, like the law is not there to just punish people indefinitely that you are supposed to be able to come back eventually if you are um, ready to re-enter society and be given another chance and that we should do that, right? So, do I want to see this kid never play hockey again? No, but when he removed himself from the draft um, I know that technically it wasn't in the CBA or whatever but it was pretty clear that part of this is he felt personally that he had some growing up to do and also that he didn't want to be in the limelight. And yes, everyone should care about the victim more than this guy at this point, right? Of course, of course, of course. But I I really think that what was a little bit missed here by the Canadians, or at least from me anyways, was that they like sealed this kid with that thing in a way that, wouldn't, I don't think, have... Like, they never gave him an opportunity to prove that he could change somewhat. They never let him have the space to get away from the story to rehabilitate himself to a degree and like he puts himself out there that he doesn't want to do this and again like i'm just going to say this one last time because this is the culture we live in no i don't care about this kid more than i care about his victim but the story that i read she wanted a a a meaningful apology from him right that was the main thing that she wanted and a meaningful apology from him might have been closer to like hey don't draft me in the nhl don't give me millions of dollars right away let me prove that i'm actually meaning this apology for a year like i actually felt like the habs robbed the victim of what the one thing she had actually asked for they robbed this kid of an opportunity to like change his perception to a degree and become someone better than who he is and like what they did is not bad because they gave somebody a second chance it was just horrible from every other reason it was so selfish and awful and yeah, I like. I normally don't like to dogpile on organizations, but this one to me actually made me feel gross. Like I really did look at this and went, "That is gross." What you guys just did, from like from every possible angle.
1: Well, yeah, and like, uh, why why you do that? Like, how much better is that kid than what you thought the next best kid was? That you have to take away that I, draft I, a brother, I, draft someone's brother. There's no there's no Gallagher <laughs> yeah. in the round. Like there's, know. you know, like, no, go get I, someone's I brother. Made, Caulfield doesn't a have a really cousin. Good point though. That like he legitimately went public with not wanting to do this, and no one involved yes. got the chance to get what they needed to get right. You know, the as you mentioned, the the victim not having the chance to get the the proper apology that she felt she's owed and, and undeniably is. And yeah, and, and the player having some room to grow and all that. No, you're you're right. I mean, the whole thing was gross to begin with. Uh, there's no reason it couldn't wait a year. You're, you're talking about second chances. No one's saying kick the kid out of the league for life. But just it's – let's let this breathe. Let's let everything – everyone grow up a sec exactly. here. I don't know, man. No, I, I shouldn't say I don't know. I do know. I, I'm with you. I, it's pretty gross all around.
0: Yeah, it really is. And so Montreal getting all – normally when I look at these things and people nitpick over uh, statements and different things and like the apology is never good enough or whatever, the explanation is never good enough. Some people do. I, I just think that this is – a lot of people say that they – they don't believe in cancel culture. They just believe that people should be responsible for their actions. And this is just kind of one of those times where I'm looking at the Montreal Canadiens and saying, you don't have a good explanation for your actions. Just what you did was all around selfish, all around gross. And yeah, you deserve to be held accountable for that. And, and I don't know, it's like, again, you're not going to punish them like... more than public perception. Dude, it's a horrible now, start now, for Now, if,
1: now if people feel like he hasn't paid you know, what he should pay, so... You know, he doesn't have a chance to exactly. be a real good story. He's still the bad guy. You know, and, yeah. you know, whether – I, I don't want to delve too deep in, into all that. I just think from a perception yes. standpoint, you don't let him – you don't give him the chance to get on a good footing with his his future fan base.
0: No, you don't give him a future at all. You have completely robbed, again, multiple people of the only things that they needed in this story, which was time, contrition, and rehabilitation. And both like from a standpoint with the guy and, both, and also with the victim who, again, doesn't probably want to be in the news and have people asking how she right. feels about this guy getting millions of dollars in an offseason where he didn't think that he was going to be getting millions of dollars. Again, just yep. all around gross. Uh, I'm going to move on because I really don't think there's much else to say about it. So I mentioned the Leafs stand pat. And Dubas has spoken a couple of times now. And I really wanted to talk to you about it today because you're someone who at least has worked with the guy. You're someone who knows the guy. Um, I'm always so curious too. Like, you know, they talk about people who, when they get famous or a couple of years removed from that, how those that knew them before see changes in that person. And I know it's hard from afar, and I don't want to over-personalize this and put it into a space where it's unfair. But the one thing that I haven't been able to shake about this this whole standing pat thing is anybody who thinks there's no logic to it is out to lunch there's obviously some right clearly mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. idea that you would sacrifice talent a uh, high end talent for lesser talent and balance is still a uh, it's still a conversation it's not black and white just because the leaf's lost is not any proof that this formula does not work like stone cold blank period forever and ever and ever but It's also at a time where there's not really a lot of flexibility, it seems. Like, it doesn't seem as though these moves would be overly possible or whatever's out there. Like, you have to know that, yes, he said it when he was on Tim and Friends, that they would be open to stuff, but they don't feel they could win a trade. But the part of it that I'm a little worried about, Bourne, is there's there's always been a little bit of a defensiveness to Kyle Dubas in this, right? And especially Mm -hmm. since things have not worked out, there has been a... I'm so zen about everything and I'm so thoughtful and calculated and meticulous, but every once in a while, like, there's a temper that leaks out. And I'm not expecting that no one ever has a temper. I'm just saying that when you're in this position, I do really want you to be as analytical and thoughtful and practical as possible. And my slight fear with all of this offseason is that Dubas has become very emotional in this and that when you're hearing him speak about the core and when he's talking about them and believing in them as people and going into these like diatribes, these long um, J.D. Bunkus-like soliloquies about believing in more than just hockey products and turning things into more than just what they actually are, which is that you're the general manager of a hockey team and you're not trying to cultivate some type of hockey utopia – Unlike unlike Babs, you're not trying
1: to build men here. You're trying to win.
0: Right. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's it. It's like I'm a little worried at times that this has become something that is – there's too much emotion in it than there should be for a general manager in his position. Yeah, like making so, it about himself and his job and the thing and the risk. I was like, "Why? Who cares? Why are you making this about you and your personal stake in this? Like, this is about the fan base that desperately needs a winner. It's not about you." And he really made it all about him. I will say, in my time getting to Kyle. so I have I worked with
1: the the Marleys last in twenty the summer of tw- before the twenty eighteen season. So we're looking at like four years ago now, um, right? You know, but knowing working with him then I would say if there was a flaw to him it's that he there can be some immaturity in that he's very emotional and then he goes away from the situation and he comes back and he's been calculated and analytical and makes the right move he'll say something reactionary in the moment Mm -hmm. that often sounds like what and then the next morning you have your meeting and he's put time into it and he does the right thing Um, you know I this is a guy that, you know, after losing a playoff round, uh, you know, smashed a bunch of pitchers off the wall, kicking around broken glass around the dressing room when he was younger. I mean, it was four years ago. But, like, he has that fire to him, that temper, that, that's a that's a part of it, no doubt. Now, I, I mentioned that he always comes back and does the right thing, in my experience. And I mean always. He always came back and thought through whatever what seemed reactionary. I... I mean. I expect that to happen here. I have such faith in him as a GM because I expect that to happen with this Leafs team. I expect those emotions to go away, to dissipate, to do the calculated thing. That's there. He has that ability and all that. But yeah, it 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 is leaking out more as the Leafs fail, as they they don't have the success he's expected. I'm seeing it more in the interviews. It is bleeding more into it. So you know this is armchair psychology and all that, but that 's a part of who he is, undeniably that he has to tamp down and it 's mm-hmm. tough to know what is dictating some of the decisions he 's making you 're right. he does seem to be struggling with that emotional side of it sometimes
0: yeah i just I look back to everything and I, I mentioned this on the show one friday because i I did the over the top again it 's unfair this is the thing about being in Toronto versus say being in Florida, and that it 's such a different job requirement, no radio host, no podcast host, no television host in. Florida is going to break down the general manager's exit interviews and go clip by clip and microanalyze them to this degree. So I can acknowledge that this is hard and that a lot of this is picking around the fringes. But
1: yeah, a guy that, can't win I, I can't, no. at this point.
0: Unless you have the success,
1: you can't say the right things.
0: Would I want people picking through my entire radio show and doing every little thing and saying, and then when you did this, and now it was, seemed like you got a little too emotional with this guest. Of course not. We're all, like, I'm not impervious to these things either, right? I can be emotional. I can do these things. This isn't like a I'm so much better than you thing, but I'm not the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not in charge of the decision-making for one of the most important players in franchise history and Austin Matthews, who now only has three years left under contract and is in the midst of his prime and figuring out the team to put around him. Um, I always look at Dubas, too, and say, you know, part of this pressure is being in Toronto, but part of it is also that you do put yourself out there as this personality, whether it's the we can and we will thing, and then it comes back to bite you in the ass because all of the contracts end up being, at least um, at the time, not team-friendly. Like, everyone loves the William Nylander deal now, but at the time, that was still considered an overpay, and it was still considered a negotiation that he lost, even if it does look great now, but it also only looks way better because he overpaid the other guys so much that they were like, at least he didn't do that with Nylander. At least he didn't overpay to that degree, like millions of dollars over asking. It was only a couple hundred thousand dollars over asking. I just – it's a lot of bluster. It's a lot of bluster and a lot of hard talks and a lot of kind of pointing the fingers and like, yeah, I just – I think it's kind of strange considering where they're at that – it doesn't seem to be a little bit more introspective. And I will say that when it was, hey, they're going to try to add Killer Instinct and that became the buzzword of the offseason, that by now it would feel as though the vision would be a little bit more um, clear. Because when he's talking about this team, it seems to be that free agency is going to be the first route. But Elliot Friedman pointed out, it's going to be hard to attract people to Canada without having to overpay. And the one thing that this team like can't do is overpay people based on their value. And that's what you do in free agency in the first place. And now you're doing it at a time when social media pressures are high and also lifestyle in Canada is not as great. I just – I have a tough time seeing how the Leafs are going to enter free agency and hit some kind of an incredible home run.
1: Yeah. You know, the – the Morgan Riley situation looms large here like are you mm-hmm. going to go into the season with no deal or no trade for him like we just looked at some of the deals that that happened on the NHL for top pair NHL defensemen mm-hmm. OEL Seth Jones uh there's
0: one more I'm an idiot well the Seth Jones one was the one that really rang out to me where he's a uh, one year left in line deal. I shouldn't
1: call him a top That's pair fair. sorry
0: even still. Even still. Like, but yeah. Seth Jones is the closest comparable lot of all three of those guys to Morgan Riley. He only has one year left. Yes, are they different defensemen? Of course they are. But they're both, like, I don't know, in the top 20 at their position. Like, that's a, that's being generous. but Or, I mean, yeah. like, they're they're higher than both top 20. They're both elite defensemen. They do different things. Seth Jones, I think, has would have a higher price tag than Morgan Riley does, at least right now, both in contract and in value, just because of – the more, I think, complete game. But even still, I did look at that trade and think, boy, how could you look at that and say... focused, uh, improved yeah. pick, a
1: second-rounder, and a first-rounder?
0: first, right. That if that Morgan Riley? Riley leaves... If Morgan Riley leaves at the end of the season and you don't end up with a first-round pick, or sorry, you don't end up with a first-round even win, like, what is the point? It's to win a Stanley Cup, right? And And that's the other part of this is... Do you feel as though the Leafs are getting a better shot at that than the one they had last year? That's what made this last season so devastating is they had such a great alignment to win a Stanley Cup. It wasn't just that they lost. It wasn't just that expectations were high. It's that you got to play Montreal and Winnipeg in the first two rounds and that you had this incredible path and that you loaded up and that your team was deeper. Now they have a team that's not as deep. They blew it. Yeah, like... They blew it. And that's the thing. Florida's
1: so good, and Florida just added Sam Reinhart. Florida's going to be so good next year. Tampa, right. Tampa lost some players, but they're still Tampa.
0: Like, yeah,
1: you know, Boston's got Taylor Hall under contract for the whole season now. It's yeah, yeah, they blew it. Not that they can't be better, not that they can't, you know, they were first in their division going away this past season. You know, they're going to be a comparable team to what they were last year. So, yeah, they're going to be a good hockey team, but there's no doubt that was the open door. So now what? You know, now do you move off Riley so you have some more, I don't know, flexibility, cap space, you can do something else. Something's got to give here.
0: (laughs) Don't you feel like the time to move Riley has already passed? Like, I I don't know, maybe it's not. I mean UFA coming up here on the 28th, so two
1: days from UFA day. Um, you know, do they want to do something before that? It just feels like if they're going to keep him, they should get him under contract. Can you get him for three yeah. years at six and a half million dollars? I don't know, probably not. Probably, probably not. But if he'll do it, then yeah, you snap him up and keep him. But otherwise, if he's not going to stay, you know, the list of people that have walked away from the Toronto Maple Leafs for nothing now, it, you know, has has gotten real long. Whether it's Hyman's leaving for nothing. Maybe they'll get something back here yet. I guess that's not done, but uh Bozak yeah, they're, and JVR, they're talking about a sixth and Gardner, round pick and Barry. Yeah, but there's there's names that have left this team for nothing, and they haven't won a playoff series. At the time, a lot of those decisions maybe made so some sense, but when you pull back and look at the amount of guys who've walked away, and then they've got nothing for them, can't happen with Riley again. Can't be another guy. Anthony Petrelli had a good play piece on that on Maple Leaf Hot Stove this morning. It's definitely worth checking out. But they've yeah. got to get something sorted with him and soon.
0: I like Petrelli, so I'll I'll look forward to reading that. i I got to say, though, that this is, again, what scares me about the emotion of these decisions. The idea that you are doubling down on a good hockey team, which we agree the Leafs are. Even though they flamed out, I still believe they are a good hockey team. And I don't know if they're... Right, and what we know over and over and over and over and again in hockey is that if you do make the playoffs, you could end up in a Stanley Cup final. If you go back and you look at actually the winners of the Stanley Cup final, I think it actually shifts a little bit in terms of, ah, uh, was it just a team that got lucky at the right time and got there? Usually, that team that makes it to the Cup final loses to the other team that was there, right? That happens over and over and over again. And so when we go, hey, you can get in and you can have hot goaltending, it's like, yep, just like Anaheim when they had J.S. Gere. And then you know what happened? <laughs> they lost. They got yeah. smoked. That's, that's Dallas the year
1: before, it's lots of right. th- teams get in, go the distance, and then reality comes eventually.
0: Right. But the point I was making, again, and I'm, this is why I wanted to bring you in on some of these things, and I've just had them, is one of the hallmarks that I, a few of the hallmarks that I thought Kyle Dubas was going to bring to this organization was, one, that there was going to be a lot of analytical thinking. And I don't just mean that in terms of like analytics and numbers and whatever, that it was just going to be very calculated and intelligent
1: decision-making.
0: Right. And so I don't see a lot of that when it comes to either the contract negotiations or now the trade negotiations or the potential to shake up your roster, especially when you consider all the own rentals that have come and the ones that have passed now that you just outlined. But two is that – I remember you coming from the Marlies and us having these discussions about how this guy was going to be able to identify things within the margins and build depth. And that Mm. one of the things about the Leafs was that there was going to be depth. And sure, do they have some bad contracts? Absolutely they do. But where are they deep? They have some depth on the blue line, and that's it. Hear me out. Forwards, there's no depth. Right now they're relying on guys that are still not signed to this team and also the potential of Nick Robertson, like that remains the big thing. Robertson also represents prospects of which they do not have a lot of depth that when he was going through in his media conference and saying the guys that could, could be contributing next year. And he mentioned Semyon Arguchensev or what I'm like, what the idea that that guy would even come close to sniffing the Maple Leafs roster at this point is nuts. so, so we're talking about no prospect depth, no forward depth, no goaltending depth and no coaching depth. Like they, well, they, where are they deep? Well,
1: I don't even know what no coaching depth means. I mean, they got nine coaches on well, staff. Well, I mean, right they now. just
0: lost one of their assistants. They just lost one of their assistants to Seattle, and their power play was a nightmare this season. <laughs> and that was yeah. the, one of the coaches. I, don't think, that's I honestly there. don't even
1: know though. They got Paul McLean, Spencer Carberry, didn't they? Who else did they just hire? They got a whole bunch of coaches on staff. the The thing about uh, depth at the margins and forwards at the fringes and all that, I think the way it looks right now is exactly the way they want it to look what he didn't want to do is be vancouver where you give antoine roussel three years and jb eagle four years and you have money tied up in your lower end guys because the belief is that every year you can find those guys and i've heard them say that every year those guys are available as ufa is cheap you can find a guy for a million bucks to dump the puck in, hit hit people and so have they done that well yet Probably not. Maybe Spezza is a good example of a success they've had there. But I think that not having bodies there is to them representative of the success of not having overpaid at a position they believe is replaceable.
0: Yeah. I just – to bring it back to the Riley thing is that in order for you to replace some depth, whether it's your forward pool, or your prospect pool, your draft pick pool – again, they don't have draft picks. They don't – like they haven't had them. They don't have depth in draft picks would be to trade Morgan Riley and to explore a bunch of different ideas for him, whether it's someone with a contract or whatever or take back some long-term assets or whatever. But the problem is you've put yourself in this position where you've said we're running it back and we believe in this core and we've done these things and now you've put your back against the wall, much like you said when you can and we will. You've put yourself in a position where you've put out a public address that something is going to happen, this is your plan, and if you move off of it, you're opening yourself up to a different kind of criticism. I, I just... At this point, I don't know how you trade Morgan Riley and get better next year. If you're trading Morgan Riley, it's for something that's with other long-term ideas in mind. Even if it's trading for a guy that has contract, like uh, has some term left on his deal, mm-hmm. you're probably still taking a step back in terms of talent. And now what? Your team is down Hyman. Your team is down Riley. Your team is down uh, Felino. It just your team is down Freddie Anderson. It's just it's a lot of bodies that are all of a sudden moving off of a team that is not going to be in as advantageous a spot and acting as though like everything is the same or that you do have this opportunity. Like the double down is not a double down because the circumstances have changed so drastically.
1: Yeah. And if you trade Morgan Riley, you're not getting a player back this year because anyone trading for Riley is trying to win this year. So you're not getting present day talent. So it's like for, for down the road, which, which isn't great. You know, you know, we talk about the way that they've let some of these contracts expire. Like, they have Morgan Riley under contract this season. He can play for them at $5.5 million, and that's that's nice. I understand why they've let these guys, a lot of guys, play out their contracts. You know, mm-hmm. I guess it's how desperate do you think this year is the last year? And it's probably not, right? The next year's another
0: shot. The year after's another shot. I know. That's it. That's what drives me nuts about this whole, like, Dubis. And I know CJ is the one that tweeted the last stand thing, but that's because Dubis came out and made it again, like, it's all or nothing this year, and I know that I will be fired maybe if we don't win this season and blah, blah, blah. Um, do you know what people are always afraid of? Lame duck years, right? Lame duck mm-hmm. GMs, lame duck coaches, because they do not have the future in mind. And, I frankly, I don't want just thinking did it. like <laughs> – Right. That's it. It's like, I don't want you to have the implication that this season is an all or nothing type of a year for determining your team. That tells me that you're doing moves that are not with the long term or the overall health of the franchise in mind. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. It's felt like this last
1: three years, though. You're right. You're right. I I would say that's a failing. It's felt like it's been now or never for three years. Right. You're know, we're supposed to still have some elite talent on that team next year too and the year after.
0: Exactly. And so this is the stuff that I keep thinking about over and over and over again is like, is there a us versus you thing that you can embrace when it comes to the media doubters or the fan doubters? Absolutely there is. But you, it's such a weird doublespeak where it's one time we understand why fans are frustrated, but then we're going to continue with this approach of we're all in and this is all in on this group and everything is all in and we'll trade a first round pick to get Felino and that's fine. But then we're what, like what is the contingency plan for these things when they don't work out? We understand the opportunity that was in front of us. And then we're going to try to carry that into the following season and do it the exact same way. Like I just, yeah. point. I, I just have to feel like part of being a GM and part of, Looking at a franchise, and the reason why people say you should have six years or you should have seven years is that you don't just work within the the constraints of everything is all about one season, and that's what I that that what you just touched on is perfect. That the fault the past couple of years have all felt as though this is now a referendum on everything, and now they've put that same cloud over this group going into the next year. And so, if you end up with a loss and you end up out in the first round, you end up losing Morgan Riley again for nothing, and you look back on this tenure and you say, well, now how do you, down, now how do you shift this team? How do you move this team around? How do you shift the pieces? And it's harder than it ever was before because you don't, have, like, you don't have any depth basically anywhere for all the things that I just mentioned, and your only move is once again trading somebody like Mitch Marner or William Nylander, and we're doing these conversations over and over again. Um, You're right. When I said that we were going to talk about the Leafs, and you said it's going to be circuitous. Yeah, because we came back to that exact thing. So let's take a break, and then I want to come back and and get your feelings on some of these trade grades and, yeah, who you think did best. Article by Justin
1: Boren on sportsnet.ca. Not trade grades, but trade takes, 10 trade takes. Uh, Should be on sportsnet any minute now.
0: Okay. I was going to say, I didn't see that. So maybe let get that up. And so I can read it and go through it and just put, and pick through it. That'll bite my opinions. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, JD bunk is Justin Bourne. Good show. Sports five, nine of the fan. So Justin Bourne has a piece up. Now thoughts on all 10 player based trades made since the expansion draft. And it starts with the one where NHL or hockey Twitter was the most dumbfounded about, right? The Nijelkovich trade for a third-round pick. And everyone went, how could that be? Even though most of us, like myself, watched him play in a couple of playoff games and learned who he was, basically, through uh, when the fans were chanting his name uh, after that big win, after like a 52-save, one-goal-against performance which was awesome. I can't believe that you would ever trade a guy who had a moment like that after the pandemic. That was kind of a strange one. But it did make me think, so is that the goaltender market? Is that what the Leafs are looking at for a player of that caliber? Because why wouldn't they do a third-round pick for a guy like Nijelkovic? They must feel pretty confident in what they're going to be able to get in free agency or through a trade because, yeah, that kind of actually seems like almost the perfect type of a fit at the perfect kind of a price. What, What did you just make of that trade?
1: For me it's you know, the way he played over that twenty three game sample was gonna get him a big arbitration award I think they thought it'd be around three four probably three and a half million dollars or something like that. Twenty five years old, to go back and look at his resume, two years ago he was a nine oh six in fifty games in the AHL. The next year, you know, he was an AHL goalie played thirty games. He, last year they had him on waivers at the start of the year. Like this he's not been a guy. You know, and so he had a, a really great run. And so, what do you think those twenty-three games are? Is that is he likely to be a legitimate NHL starter? M- maybe, but or all the other information matter too. And for three and a half or four million dollars, can you get Andy Ranta, Freddie Anderson? Can you trade for Allmark? Can you trade for Robin Leonard at five million? Mm-hmm. I just think Carolina feels like they're on the cusp of being a Cup team. And do mm-hmm. you want to go into the year as a Cup team? Not sure about your goaltending. Ask the Leafs. It's not awesome. I don't know Mm -hmm. if Nedeljkovic should make you think we fixed the problem and it only cost three and a half million bucks.
0: Yeah. um, I would say a move like that is a reminder that the Leafs really blew it those couple of years by not addressing backup goaltender, by just kind of leaving it to we'll try to scrap and piece things together and that it actually came back and hurt them because part of it has to be that there was way too much wear and tear on – Freddie Anderson as well. Um sorry, I got distracted (laughs) you got a cat that just started like walked up. It's like starting to like lick your cheeks as I'm talking to you it's hard to focus on. It's like this cat is just posted up like pay attention to me father. Um, I'm not going to go through like you have all 10 of these trades. I'm shocked that you know you have opinions on things like Tyler Pitlick or how much better like I thought Philly was wild just in the fact that I'm like okay so they moved off of Gostas Bear who granted had a bad season last year but at one point was viewed as a young you know, should the Leafs have taken this guy version of defense? I think he was the same draft class as Marner, right? Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. was a there was a once upon a time where people were saying, should the Leafs have taken Gostas Bear over Marner? And to flip assets and go end up being negative in the asset department, to go from Gostas Bear to, to Ristalainen, I thought was kind of interesting. But um, I'm going to focus on the ones that uh, affect Canada and then the Maple Leafs the most. So I'm going to start with that one, which is the Panthers acquiring Sam Reinhardt and giving up a a goaltending prospect who is a seventh-round pick but actually ended up playing for Team Candace, who's all right, and Devin Levy, and a first-round pick. And, yeah, kind of where we're stacking Florida right now after a move like this. Because, I I don't know. Well, first of all, what did you think of the trade? And then secondarily, how do you think that this positions Florida going into next season when the Leafs are, again, not not playing against the Oilers and the Canucks anymore every night. It's uh, the Bruins. It's the Lightning. It's the team that knocked you out in the Montreal Canadiens. And it is the Florida Panthers.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you know what Bill Zito has done since he took that team over is he immediately made the team tougher to play. Like, he got some gritty players, brought in Radko Gudis. Uh, was it uh, Nutivara? I'm not sure how to say it. You know, they just brought in some guys. Was it Wenberg as well? I forget which Columbus guys. But he brought in some guys that could play a little grittier, tougher game. And then adding a guy like Sam Reinhardt, who's just kind of a... A reliable offensive contributor uh, There's real value there too So yeah, Florida gets better Tampa loses You know the Gord Coleman Goodrow line In its entirety And they gave Tampa a series in the playoffs I'm not sure who the best team in, in Florida is right now And that's intimidating if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan Because there's a lot of good things happening right now For the Panthers
0: Yeah, that's sort of the way I looked at this too Not through the Better than Tampa lens yet But yeah, I, I if you looked at just goal differential last year between the Leafs and the Panthers, the Panthers had a slightly better record. And what I would say is a better division. I'm sorry. I know that there was bad teams in that division as well, but it was still better. It was still more competitive at the top. They had more games against tough teams, and they had a very similar goal differential to Toronto. And so if you're just looking at that, And then them facing Tampa in the playoffs and having given them a series and, you know, at times looking a little overwhelmed, but they got some bad goaltending. It was kind of flip-flopped. And so that's a real question mark to them, you know, what's going to end up happening in net. They probably shouldn't have given up that big contract to Bobrovsky. That seems pretty clear at this point. But, yeah, I would say that if you are just looking at this on merit going into next year, that there are three teams ahead of the Leafs. Like I don't know if you saw that. It, everyone loves to do this. It's a it's a staple of off season Twitter, which is showing all the Bruins players what they make combined compared to Matthews and Marner. But watching them get Taylor Hall under contract, regardless of, of how you feel about Taylor Hall, fact of the matter is is that they have next year Bergeron, Marchand, Hall, and Pasternak all under contract for a million dollars more than. Mitch Martin and Austin Matthews, that kind of puts you at a difficult competitive advantage. But either way, so yeah. I would say that right now, with what Florida's done and what the Leafs have done and the steps of their two offseasons, like one team is still in a position to add a Sam Reinhardt and the other is in a position where they're losing Zach Hyman for nothing. Um when they were already pretty even, I, I would say that you're giving Florida the Yeah the nod when you're saying how are you stacking this in terms of preseason odds?
1: I just can't I can't get over the fact that Taylor Hall got four times six and Zach Hyman might mm-hmm. get like eight times five and a half or eight times five or seven times five and a half. Like he is going to get yeah. substantially more money than Taylor Hall as a UFA this offseason. But I, I know Hall's been in the decline same thing. and he's yeah. picking where he's playing essentially. But God, that can't be right.
0: No, but that's it. No, it's not even the decline thing because who cares? He's still... He's still Taylor Hall. He's going to get uh, You're still getting Taylor year. Hall. He's healthy, yeah. Right. Like, you can pencil him into a top six role, and he's going to score big goals for you. He's just... The, the Taylor Hall story is that what happened in the postseason last year, he's going to come up with a big goal like he did in the game-tying goal in, the, in round one where he's ju- diving into the crease, but then he's going to have games like the elimination one where you ask yourself if he's hurting, if he's even on the bench, and whether he's playing or not because he just... He can fade out of these games. Um... The difference is though is that you don't need to rely on him as much because he is only making six million dollars and you feel great about it. And also True. it just pretends to the same thing in hockey in the salary cap era, which is so frustrating and annoying, but it's like it's incumbent upon your players to not only win, but to sacrifice in order to continue to keep winning. Like it's the Sidney Crosby saying to the rest of the team, I'm gonna take less so everybody else takes less, and having actually done something, and Boston winning and their stop top guys taking less so that everyone else does slot in behind them and feels like they cannot make more money than those star players. And I don't know if the domino was that you signed Tavares to 11 mil and that changed the math of things or what. But to me, the biggest problem is that the Leafs, if there's one lesson that you can learn about salary caps, is that you never give players everything all at once before they've won. That part of giving you everything is that you've had to accomplish something, and it has to be more than scoring forty goals in a season like Austin Matthews to say like you 're getting eleven, and especially when it comes to someone like Mitch Marner, um, you just can't give everybody you you get it 's like Taylor Hall, you wanted to play in Boston, that comes at a discount. Mitch Marner, you want to stay in Toronto that comes at a discount, and for Marner, it was never that it was I want to play with who I want to play with and I want to be where I want to be, and I want to make the most amount of money and the Leafs went that 's okay. Look, we can do that because you're top-end talent, and it turns out in a cap rule, in a cap reality, that that might not actually be um, a way to win. Again, part goes back to my hate of the salary cap. The next one I want to do is the Vancouver trade because mm-hmm. I loved it for Vancouver, and then everybody hammered Vancouver. And and I know OEL came off of a down year, and I watched zero Arizona Coyotes last year, so I'm taking it as everybody's word. But I just think that when you can get you know, assets that depreciate And I thought, oh, is OEL like 34? Is he some sneaky old age? He's like, no, he's 30, right? So mm-hmm. taking a shot at a guy like that and then adding Garland, who all the math nerds loved a week ago, for contracts uh, and a pick, it just... I... I why, why am I hating this? Wh- what am I supposed to hate about this? Well, it's that
1: what is vancouver's uh arc to a stanley cup you know the, the arc to a stanley mm-hmm. cup is probably uh down the road you know not not immediately this upcoming mm-hmm. year, or at least it should be because if they did nothing this year uh Ru- sorry um Erickson expires j beagle expires mm-hmm. those contracts just go away and then you get to keep mm-hmm. your first round pick and your second round pick you know you don't end up having to do to give up those significant assets uh that they did now the OEL thing, if he is in decline that is going to consistently decline, you've now taken that on until 2026 Like he you, yeah. you got Erickson all over you just got out from Erickson, no, now it's you got 20, Erickson
0: 2027
1: again. is it Yeah, so like now you've yeah. got Erickson's deal back, but you, your bet is that he's not going to do that, and I don't disagree with you that he is a good player who's only 30 that he shouldn't look like Louis Erickson looked uh, for the for the Vancouver Canucks. So to all that aside, the Canucks are better. Connor Garland is very good. He is a top six forward. It, it, he's young. He's a good addition for the Vancouver Canucks. OEL makes their defense immediately better than it's been. Uh, I, I'm with you that they get good this year, but it just feels like Jim Benning is like, we need to win now or I'm getting fired, so I'm going to burn the draft picks. To heck with that. Add the cap hit on till I don't care when. I'm not going to be here because he wants to win tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, is the contract too long? Absolutely it is. Um, but I feel like sometimes we get really bogged down in term discussion, and it's a lot – It's no doubt it's a lot of money. But as of today, OEL is 8% of your cap, and if you hit on a defenseman, eventually it will go up. I assume that the salary cap over the next two years, maybe not next year but the year after, some somewhere like that. I think that for a top four defenseman next year, which OEL could reasonably be, 8% of your salary cap is not so horrific. Again, everyone always looks at the term. They go, oh, the end of the deal, the end of the deal. But part of the deal is now. And again, not everyone needs to play GM. Just enjoy the team that you have. And if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, I kind of feel – I look at this and say, we came off of a massively disappointing season, right? But ultimately, we still have Quinn Hughes. We still have now defensemen that are signed up to term, Ekman Larson – Quinn Hughes is going to get one. Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers. That's not bad. Like, that's a pretty solid crop of players. And now you've got Rock Besser, Bo Horvat, J. T. Miller. You add Connor Garland to that, and of course Pedersen. I I just think that there are worse teams to be in hockey right yeah. now. And especially the if Pacific they end up too. like the Right, they're in the Pacific and it's going to take a Thatcher Demko becoming more of what they basically gambled Thatcher Demko becoming, because that was a huge part of the Canucks plan here. But just if he can be that, I don't look at them in the Pacific and say, that's not a team that could win that division. I think that there's just a possibility from going from where they were at to where they actually planned on being last year. And maybe Mm -hmm. just maybe their assessment of their group was closer to the team that got everybody excited in the playoffs. Like, You and I did a power rankings of, hey, what teams do we like the most in the North Division in terms of the future and where they're at with everything before the North Division came back. And the Canucks were in the conversation for best position team moving forward based on everything where they were at. And so I'm kind of like, I'm not throwing out all the information we got last year, but I'm saying let's at least look at this through the prism of, of them not just being one of the worst teams in hockey in a really tough spot in hockey. Like... I can sort of see the path here. I, I just liked it. I liked the move and I can, I, I guess the question I, is I what, that what do you always want, do you want them to a win a cup
1: time. or do you want them to make the playoffs?
0: What is your expectation? You know, like yeah.
1: this to me it doesn't necessarily move them towards a cup where
0: OEL gets likely yeah. declines, right, over the length of his deal and you know, Garland eventually would need a new But deal could they not fine. win in the next three years? Like if Thatcher Demko turns out to be an all star goalie with what they have on their team, could they not at least be in the conversation?
1: I think they can get to a point like, where Besser you say is hey one. if they I add a guy keep or Besser. two, yeah. yeah. I think they can get to a point where you go boy if they add a couple of guys here like they're starting to to sniff around and, and this is looking interesting. So yeah, I you know I'm with you. It's you know uh, there is so much uh overanalyzing and overthinking cuz you don't know how the end of a deal is going to to work that sometimes we're critical of deals when it's like the team is trying to win they're trying to win tomorrow. I would love a team to try to win every season. That sounds great to me. So right. I'm not mad at them for trying to win hockey games.
0: Yeah, and I just think that the JT Miller contracts and the Bo Horvat contracts are pretty good ones. They've got that Hoglander kid who broke out last year at yeah, less than a million bucks for the next two seasons. Like there, I just I look at much. I just look at sorry Vancouver and say, if I was buying stock in a group right now that is like very much at the very bottom and saying like who could end up actually doing something. To yeah. me, again, they actually have some top-end skill. There's a path towards depth. I can understand what their top four looks like and, again, can see how I would end up trusting them. Just a lot of it comes down to this goalie and some bounce-back seasons from some top-end guys that might have had a tough time with the circumstances of the season and might have yeah. checked out early because of where they were and a disappointing start. Like, I, I just Vancouver's a team I'm buying, and... People probably hate that take, but they just are. I, I like Edmonton? You're buying I'm, Edmonton? What does Edmonton being? Zero Edmonton stock. Edmonton's <laughs> like, we're so top-heavy. We keep having the same problem with being too top-heavy. And then they go and give Zach Hyman that contract. And it's like, okay, um, not the approach. It's funny. I actually love Hyman for just about – like, I love – obviously, who was, doesn't love Hyman? I loved your I take on David. Hyman.
1: He's, he's been everything the Toronto Maple Leafs wanted to be. He's been amazing.
0: He has been, and it's heartbreaking. "Ah, It's just a guy leaving. It's a a pretty big guy leaving. It's a huge guy leaving. You and I did things about where he stacks in terms of the most important Maple Leaf last year, and everyone unanimously agreed that he was in the top five. And then he's leaving, and people are like, "But the core is staying together." I'm like, "That's the core. He was one (laughs) of the core guys. He was the coreiest of the core." (laughs) Anyway, um, Justin Bourne. The article is up right now. If you want to hear on the rest of the trades, thoughts on the ten trades. Uh, thanks, as always, for joining on a Monday. See you, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Later, guys. Bye, cat.